This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein. And today I am recording this interview in Rwanda, where I'm very excited to be, where I've traveled many times. And I am really excited to welcome to the program, Julianne Euler, who is the founder and CEO of just a very impressive organization called the African Entrepreneur Collective. So Julianne, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Catherine. It's really my pleasure to be here with you. So, Julianne, I'm really excited to talk with you. Can you describe for our listeners, what is the African Entrepreneur Collective? Sure. African Entrepreneur Collective, we are an organization that supports micro, small, and medium enterprises um, across East Africa. We provide them with business development services, such as trainings on bookkeeping and other financial management. We offer them one-on-one consulting so they can put these lessons into practice. And then we also offer through our in-house investment fund, we offer uh, financing so that these businesses can grow. And ultimately, our work is to help some of these tremendous entrepreneurs throughout Africa improve their lives, create jobs for others in their communities, and most importantly, be strong economic contributors to their communities. So you have been at this. You founded the African Entrepreneur Collective in 2012. And over the last 10 years, and we've been chatting periodically over those years, you have uh, achieved really remarkable growth. You have a team now of over 150 staff members across Rwanda, Ethiopia, and Kenya. And based on what I'm seeing, 98% of them are locals and refugees helping to support, as you said, small and medium and uh, micro entrepreneurs. So congratulations on, on that growth. And let's dig in to learn more about who these people are. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. We've been at this work for 10 years, as you, as you just mentioned. And for me, it is just, it's just a, a job that just keeps me excited every single day. Um, at African Entrepreneur Collective, we're a really values-driven organization. And one of our core values is that all problems in Africa have solutions that already exist in Africa. And this is what motivates us to go out into our communities and find entrepreneurs people who who know how to solve problems, the most pressing problems in their communities through their own innovations, their goods, their services. Um, and that's, what, that's what's really exciting is to help people who really know the solutions that are needed to help them bring those ideas to market, um, get, those, get those ideas out into more, more people and in more places. And, you know, as you mentioned, we have, you know, over 150 staff spread out through, I don't know, 14 different program sites. The overwhelming majority of our staff are people who are also from those communities. That's, again, no better person to help solve the problems that communities have than the people who live with those problems every single day. So over these past uh, 10 years, you've worked with 33,000 entrepreneurs. Uh, 67% of them are refugees. 58% 
of these entrepreneurs are women. 60% of them are youth. 57% of them have little or no schooling. And 50% of these businesses uh, have less than $500 in average monthly revenues. So these are small micro enterprises, as you said. You know, I think many of us uh, uh, around the world, many of us are involved in business schools. When we think entrepreneurship, we're thinking tech startups, we're thinking Silicon Valley, we're thinking, you know, the, the potential for angel investment uh, and, and on to uh, venture capital. These folks are starting with, uh, with less and still they're achieving uh, really terrific results. So I want to focus in on refugees. You're working with 67% of your entrepreneurs are refugees. And I'm hoping you will just paint a picture for us of, well, first paint a picture of where these refugees are living. When we live, when we imagine you're working in refugee camps, what does a refugee camp look like in, you know, in, in Rwanda, where we are, for example? So when... When we started African Entrepreneur Collective, I had been previously living in Silicon Valley. And as you mentioned, it's a place of just bustling uh, entrepreneurial spirit, innovation. And when I first, first came to Africa and saw a bunch of entrepreneurs working in communities here, the first thing that came to my mind is, is that entrepreneurs across the world whether you're in Silicon Valley or whether you're in Kigali or whether you're in the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya, entrepreneurs around the world are more alike than different. Mm. We, ha we have the same needs. We have the same struggles. We have the same recipes for success. We all need to identify a pressing problem. We need to learn our customers deeply. We need to solve that problem at the right price point. We need to pivot, try again, and we need to get others to believe in us. And so, you know, looking at with that mindset to say entrepreneurs are more alike than different, mm -hmm. but, access, but access to resources, right, are drastically different depending on where we are in the world. That is sort of what gets us to think about these micro, small businesses, medium enterprises in the same way. You know, so as you mentioned, you know, when we think about refugee camps, the first thing that comes to my mind, whatever it is, it's not entrepreneurship. Yeah. And right, the, the first time that I went to a refugee camp, I thought the same thing. I thought, gosh, you know, I've, I've been driving on this road for the last four hours. The, the landscape is getting more and more rural. And I remember being, you know, in the car and the road was snaking through the forest and I felt like I was going into the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, this camp on a hill came into view. Mm -hmm. And as we got closer and closer, I could see that these were thousands of small houses built into the hillside. And these houses are capped with corrugated metal roof and white UN tarps. And I realized that for the 20,000 people living in this place, this wasn't the middle of nowhere. This was the center of everything. Mm -hmm. And when you walk through the streets of a refugee camp, these dirt roads that have people pushing back, you know, pushing, pushing past you, pushing bicycles with 
with carrying wood and crates of tomatoes where you have mobile money agents, you have um, people having lunch inside little, little restaurants. Um, these camps are like any other, any other neighborhood. It has a bustling economy, even though it has a sort of lower dollar consumption. And what I found, even from the first time visiting a refugee camp, that the driver of the economy in these camps, it's not aid. It's actually entrepreneurs. And if we can help these small businesses better manage their finances, have access to better supplies, um, increase their sales, then these entrepreneurs are going to turn these refugee camps into you know, communities that we would more, more recognize. Got it. So, and um, a few more questions about these, these refugee entrepreneurs. The refugees in Rwanda, again, if we're focusing here, but we could focus elsewhere, where are they coming from? Where are they refugees from? So let me tell you a story of a woman named Angelique. And Angelique is an entrepreneur we work with in the Kigeme refugee camp in southern Rwanda. Angelique and her husband uh, and three children fled violence in 2012. Uh, she fled vi- violence in the neighboring, in the neighboring uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. And Angelique and her family have been living in this refugee camp for 10 years now. She started a small shop. And by sh- I'm using the word shop liberally. She started a small, with a small pile of vegetables. She had about $150 in personal savings. And with that, she bought some dry goods, some grains, some toothpaste, and some vegetables. Because the monthly stipend she received from UNHCR and the World Food Program didn't cover her family's monthly food costs. Mm-hmm. And so she had to do something to supplement her income. So when she, when Angelique started working with AEC, we helped her understand even these small quantities of, of inventory, right? We, we helped her understand what, which ones sold faster, which ones had a higher profit margin, how to write down her sales and expenses, had to keep track of all of the people she sold to on credit so that she didn't lose out on her, on her money. And, you know, over the, the, the year that we worked with her, Angelique grew her monthly sales by 90%. She increased her profit by over 60%. And she actually hired two other employees. And now Angelique's family has three times as much money that they spend on food. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, her kids eat meat. They now have better sources of protein and they all go to school. And Angelique has also successfully repaid not one, but two loans that we gave her. And Angelique is just one of 33,000 other businesses like that who we're helping every day. Great. Um, amazing work. And I, and I love your very important message that these are in many ways entrepreneurs like most entrepreneurs uh, around the world solving you know entrepreneurial challenges i do want to dig more into uh, how you work with entrepreneurs but let's let's dig into how you decide 
who you're going to work with, uh, how you screen, assuming you do screen, entrepreneurs to say, yep, you're going to be part of the African Entrepreneur Collective. You can, we will give you the training. We'll give you the other services that we do. When we, when we go out and look for entrepreneurs, we have a number of staff people who are, as I mentioned, from the communities, including refugees themselves. So they are always out in the market sourcing for new businesses that we can work with. And we do intakes, cohort intakes, once or twice a year. And we look for people. Uh, the threshold for participation is actually quite low. We look for people who have already started something. Mm-hmm. It might be very, very small, or they might have you know, operated for a number of months or years before we, we came. But we, we work with primarily existing businesses. So somebody has had to take the risk to have had to try something first, because we found that at least for our program, it's so much easier for us to work with someone who now starts to understand all of the things that they don't know. Right. And once they join the program, then we have a pretty scripted uh, curriculum where people learn, you know, bookkeeping, inventory management, sales, anything that, that any business would, you know, needs to know, you know, anywhere in the world and would, and would find through either online courses or through, um, you know, other trainings that you would get in, in the community, wherever you are. Got it. Okay. So you start to work with these folks, you give them training. At some point we'll get into the kind of micro loans that you're providing, but let's, let's talk a little bit about the delivery of training. We are, you know, still in a pandemic. We hope we're coming out of the pandemic. (laughs) The numbers look good in Rwanda uh, around COVID, but how do you reach people? Is this in-person training? If you leave to digital, what, what works for you? How are you delivering this training? We, before COVID, all of our training was in person. Mm-hmm. Many of the businesses that we've, we've supported have very, very low literacy and numeracy. Some people don't read or write at all in any language. Mm-hmm. And so we had to adapt our curriculum so that it was easily digestible by anyone, regardless of education level or prior um, prior experience. And we found for us that the best way of doing that would be, you know, having our trainers sit with somebody in a classroom style, um, walk them through the exercises and then follow up with them one-on-one, you know, throughout the week, you know, in between classes. But as you mentioned, you know, when COVID happened and there were lockdowns, you know, throughout the world, we had to pivot almost instantly. Um, And for us, we knew that wherever this business was, they were actually a vital lifeline for goods and services into their communities. And they now had to navigate these changing regulations, these disrupted supply chains. So the first thing that we did is we called every person and we said, do you have access to a smart device, a phone or a tablet? Can you watch videos? Or do you have only a feature phone? Um, and so that we'll have to do, do our trainings, you know, through phone calls. And after doing that assessment, we re- realized that only 
25% of our entrepreneurs had access to a smart device. So we knew that in order to reach you know, the majority of people, we needed to figure out a way where they could interact with our services via a, a phone. Mm-hmm. And so we partnered with a, a, a local company and we started offering what is called an interactive voice response. And we translated all of our curriculum into three to five minute modules that we could send out basically as pre-recorded voicemails. Wow. And then at the end of someone listening to this voice voicemail, then we would have a, a small interactive quiz that was done through um, through feature phones. And that was so that when was, they're saying yes or no, yes. You know, they're, they're taking a little a little quiz and responding verbally, I guess, with simple answers. They're they're taking a quiz and then they're t- using their touchpad, you know, to answer multiple choice questions, like answer, you know, if the answer is A, B, C, um, you know, and they can fill out really small um, text. Got it. And, and yeah. you have found this, this works. It, our businesses outperform, our businesses in refugee camps outperformed the other entrepreneurs we worked with in any other markets, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but after doing this for two years, we found that for really simple concepts, the uh, IVR method worked just as well as in-person training. But when things got more complicated, we found that in person, nothing matched in person. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So now that we're able to gather more and we're able to deliver some of our services back, you know, to sort of pre-pandemic style, we've actually chosen a hybrid model. So let's talk a little bit about your some of these results over these years. You have worked with 33,000 entrepreneurs. These folks have generated and created more than 25,000 jobs. Many of them, and you'll, I want to dig into this, have received micro loans, and the repayment rates are terrific, 97%. And ultimately, they have uh, collectively generated more than $50 million, that's U.S. dollars, in revenue uh, with very strong survival rates of their businesses over time. So, and so you are really helping these, these entrepreneurs, and they are doing really significant work in generating incomes for their, their families and their communities. How do you decide and how do you, how do you handle the microloan part of this process? Who's getting microloans? What are they using those loans for? How does this piece of the process work? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and one that we get all of the time because especially when you think about refugees, there is so much hesitancy to provide, you know, financial services or to give loans in these communities. You know, sort of there, there's so many sort of misconceptions about refugees as being very transient, you know, Mm. it'll be really hard to track your money once you give out a loan. Um, When we started working in these communities, so many people cautioned us. They said, Oh, refugee businesses, they don't understand, they don't understand debt. They don't understand investments. They only understand charity. So they will assume that the money you've given them is just a grant. And so when we started, we said, we need to demonstrate at a significant size that refugee entrepreneurs, just like any other, they understand this stuff. 
and they're, you know, with the right training and services, they can be just as, you know, investment ready as anyone else. Mm-hmm. So what we did first was we said, okay, the only people who will be able to access our financing are participants in our training and consulting program. So we're not going to just give, give a loan to a business that we have never worked with. We want to make sure that they have the proper skills before taking on, taking on investment. Okay. And then, so once they've gone through our training, we have a separate like loan officers and investment officers who go out and conduct due diligence on these businesses, make sure that you know, they really do what they say they're doing, um, assess the character of the business owner. And then they also, you know, we make decisions based on cash flows. So we do cash flow based lending. Uh, this, these these loans are not collateralized, um, and we really talk with them because we've built a relationship with this business owner over six, you know, three months, six months, nine months, to really understand what their investment needs are. And you know, once we have that, then we you know sit at investment committees and make decisions just like any other financial institution, and um, and then show up you know, occasionally throughout the month to see how things are going and and really do maintain that really open relationship with each of our borrowers. And I think that all of that has led to, you know, sort of the significant repayment rates that we're seeing in these communities where there's, you know, very little other financing. And how big is a typical loan? And and when you think, oh yeah, that's a typical way that this entrepreneur or these entrepreneurs spend their loans, what are they using this funding for? So we have um we have quite a range we can you know we give loans between $50 and $50,000 but for a typical refugee loan we start out fairly small probably on the sort of 500 to $600 range mm-hmm. um we have a pretty short repayment period usually around 6 months for your first loan just so we can start to see your habits of of repayment mm-hmm. and Almost all of those loans are used for either working capital or to buy some sort of asset to increase the capacity of the business. Um, and I would say that's you know the overwhelming majority of what these loans are used from, or sorry, mm-hmm. or what these loans are used for. Got it. So I should think sewing machines, or you know, many people re- you know buy purchase inventory, sort of, you know, whatever they're selling or they want to introduce new products. Um, that could be everything from, you know, wanting, they might have cooking oil, but they want to sell olive oil. Um, they might have a small manufacturing business, like they might do soap making. So they need to purchase the, the, the containers, you know, that they're selling their soap in, um, or they might need to buy a a mixing machine um, or a sewing machine. Um, many of them also want to purchase some sort of transport, you know, either a motorbike or a, a small truck, so that they can save on those costs. So, with with this great success and scale, what what's next for the African Entrepreneur Collective? Where are you going? You know, we've we've been doing this work for the last 10 years, but we've really focused on, on refugee businesses for the last five years. And we've seen such a tremendous impact, but also demand for our services. Mm-hmm. So right now we work in three countries in Rwanda, Kenya, and we've recently launched in Ethiopia and have 
tremendous ambitions to grow. So between now and 2030, we want to work with over half a million businesses, primarily refugees and the surrounding host communities across eight countries on the continent. Um, Places that have a large number of refugees and internally displaced persons, but also ones where there are, are, there's movement towards more favorable um, refugee policies and, you know, where we really feel like our services are needed. So we're super excited to take this, takes this up to the next several levels. So I'd, I'd love you to talk about, and we'll, we'll wrap up in a few minutes here, but I'd love you to talk about lessons learned. And I think there, you know, there's so many different lessons you may have learned. I hope you'll touch on, you can, I'll let you pick, but I hope you'll touch on being, you know, being an American, uh, you know, a college educated MBA working, you know, overseas, working in Africa and, you know, lessons learned because there are plenty of folks who have really marvelous intentions, but come abroad and don't succeed to have the kind of impact that you're having. You know, there's just a lot of issues here. So if listeners are thinking, you know, they may be thinking, I'm that entrepreneur. I want to, I want to work with the African Entrepreneur Collective, but they may also be thinking, I want to be Julianne. Mm-hmm. Talk with us about lessons learned. I've been reflecting on this question actually quite a bit as this year is African Entrepreneur Collective's 10th, 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And thinking about where we were 10 years ago versus where we are today, it's it's beyond what I ever could have imagined. Um, in fact, one of our values, another one of our values here is that we push beyond what we think is possible. Mm-hmm. And right, how do you do that? How do you, how do you look beyond what you think is possible when your thinking is, you know, your greatest limitation? And, and really it's, and, and I mean, you, you teach this, right, in, in, in business schools around the world, right? One of the things that you have to do is you have to surround yourself with people smarter than you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how AEC has grown to be where it is, is because I have surrounded myself with people smarter and more connected than I am. And, you know, so I, you know, all of our success is due to the team, the team we have and their incredible dedication, and to your point, though, about being, you know, an American, a white woman coming to Africa, I had my own, you know, I came with my own networks and my own skills that I've built, you know, through, through my education and, and work experience. And for me, surrounding myself with people smarter than I am, had, I had to shift, shift to see who that target person was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it's, it was people who had different skills. They were able to open up new networks, whether that be in refugee camps or in, you know, in businesses in, in the capital city. Um, so that's one of the, one of the lessons learned is we have to continue to stretch our, our mind of, of like who we want, who, who can help us achieve our goals. Uh, the second thing is, is that, you know, the, the level of of humility that it takes is is really I think important to to note. Um, whether it's me as somebody you know as the CEO or whether it's a business development advisor 
we come into every person's business and every community with a tremendous amount of humility mm. because these are people who are trusting us with their livelihoods. Like I trust very few people with my livelihoods and to have some stranger come in and say, our advice is going to either help you, help you, you know, increase the number of meals you eat a day or not. That requires a tremendous amount of humility and, and trust. And mm-hmm. right. That's the basis of everything that we do is people have to trust us mm-hmm. with their, with their life, with their livelihoods. Um, and we, and we have to deliver and that's a lot of responsibility and it takes a lot of humility. Um, and then the, the, the other thing, you know, that I've learned working here is that I think the communities where we work across Rwanda, Kenya, and Ethiopia offer such incredible opportunities for growth, but it, they also offer such tremendous, complex, interwoven problems to be mm-hmm. part of a really, really deep solution. And for me, that's intellectually stimulating. It's exciting. And, I, and it, it also then pulls me back from thinking that there's like a one-size-fits-all or one, you know, one product fits all because these are, these are deeply, you know, connected and complicated markets. And I feel like I am growing so much as an, as an entrepreneur myself, just working here. Great. Julianne, thank you so much. It's fantastic to, uh, you know, to, to have this opportunity to talk with you, for you to help us understand uh, a, a world that, Many of us who are based in the U.S. And, and perhaps around the world don't know. Of course, many many do do know. And you you know you've emphasized just the scale of the the opportunity uh, and the, the number of entrepreneurs you're working with. So it's fantastic to talk with you. And congratulations on on all you're doing. I can't wait to see where you are in the next you know two, five, and and ten years. So thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you so much. It's it's always a pleasure to chat with you. And and I appreciate so much your your interest, but also your curiosity of, of bringing, of bringing students and other people to Rwanda to meet with entrepreneurs themselves, to learn so much about this, this great country. And, you know, it's always, it's always a pleasure of having smart and compassionate people in this with us. And I I consider you one, one of many people who have supported us along the way. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.